Welcome to another edition of Nebraska Gems. I'm Mike Melby. Today, I am not sitting in my office at home because today's guest was kind enough to invite me to his place of business. It's a business that Nebraskans can be proud of. Do you know why? Well, the answer is simple. It embodies what makes the state of Nebraska so great. This family-owned business was built from scratch, from a hobby. But that hobby, along with passion for creation and the family's blood, sweat, tears, plus some good old-fashioned hard work with a lot of tender, loving care thrown in, turned into where I sit right now. From the special event room at the soon-to-be 25-year-old James Arthur Vineyards, where we overlook roughly 20 acres, I believe, of grapes in the rolling hills just north of Lincoln, my guest on today's episode of Nebraska Gems is Jim Ballard, the winemaker here at James Arthur Vineyards. Jim, welcome to Nebraska Gems. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure. Now, the first question that I have for you is, do you remember what you were doing September 13th, 1997? <laughs> yeah, I do remember very vividly. Uh, I was sweating blood because uh, we had planned on opening the week before here at James Arthur Vineyards and our bottles didn't show up, so we had no wine. So we pushed our grand opening to the winery back to the 13th of September, 97, um, had a grand opening. We invited some radio stations out and gave a lot of tours and just were excited to open our front doors and finally share um, a dream that we had had in the making for probably 18 months, finally came to fruition. Okay, so we'll get to the backwards a little bit, but I'm going to stay with that opening day. Yes. Do you remember who your first customer was that wasn't a friend or a family that was literally after you guys got a business license and you were James Arthur Vineyards? And do you still, like a lot of old businesses do, have that dollar bill framed somewhere? We did not put the dollar bill up. I, I had it up for a while, but you know, as any business runs, I needed it one day to help pay some <laughs> bills. So exactly. we pulled it down off the wall. But I, I remember, I don't remember the exact first customer, but I remember about four or five people who were out here that first day. Um, that continue to come out and have become friends. Um, a couple from Wahoo came out, another gentleman from Lincoln. I had a guy from Omaha. Um, and now they continue to come out and, and I call them friends. So I do remember very vividly some of those first customers that we had. Now, it is a little bit north of Lincoln, but the, the thing I found when this opened, there was not paved roads that got here easily, I doubt. Yeah, I don't actually was actually, 14th paved. Yeah, it was. And actually, okay. that was one of the reasons why we have this location here is because you could get here on oh, all paved roads nice. like for classic cars and motorcycles and anybody that didn't want to drive on gravel, you could get out here. So yeah, we you could get out here. Uh, and it was uh, you know, and and we are we're close enough, and that's one of the things we can talk about. We're close enough to two, I mean. Two thirds of the state's population is in our backyard. Pretty much. Which is good for us. Yep. Yeah, we're far enough out that we have beautiful landscape. We have beautiful vistas. Um, and and you don't feel like you're even close to the city, which is which is all part of our marketing, which is all part of the plan for what we're doing. So let's go back to that. Um, first of all, uh, address is, I believe, 2001 Northwest. Just West Raymond or Road. Or West Raymond Road. Rest, okay. like, if you draw drew a straight line to downtown Lincoln, like the Haymarket. Yep. It's like 10 minutes straight, straight North of, of the Haymarket. And I live roughly first in Adams. It wasn't 10 minutes to get here. No, so you're a neighbor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, um, let's go back now. You said the plan was when we open this thing, this is the location. We've got paved roads. We want to have car clubs. We want to have motorcycles. We want to have events. We need it to be easy to get to your father-in-law, Jim Jeffers. Um, with an obvious background that says, I'm going to open a winery. 
Uh, he owned a deli meat manufacturing company in Omaha and he retires and he's like, okay, yeah, that, no, I'm not a retired type of guy. Tell me about the first conversation you guys had where you're like, well, if you're retired and you're bored, you know what you can do? Is that how it started? How did, how did <laughs> somewhat, that seed get planted? Somewhat, somewhat. Um, Jim, and Jim was a great businessman, great business mind, big idea guy. And he did, he retired, sold his company in Omaha and retired. And this location is what he looked for for quite a while. Um, and he was going to build a house out here and he did eventually, uh, basically for family and friends. Uh, we come out here and hang out as a family. And what he did was he put in Oh, about 200 apple trees or so. And his original idea was to be a you pick apple program. So people could come out, pick their apples and, and uh, take them home. And, and so those apple trees are still out there, which is another story we get to about 20 years later. But, uh, I was, and all, all my degrees are in, in journalism, go figure. And when I was at graduate school, there's a gentleman that I had as a professor, his name was Jim Dan Danielson and Jim just recently passed, but he had a small vineyard near Plattsmith. And sometimes we talk more about growing grapes and making wine in class than what we're supposed to be talking about. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I'm going to file that in the back of my head and maybe someday grow some grapes, make a little wine and give it to family and friends, you know, try not to kill anybody and have some fun with it. And so uh, Jim had the land out here. And one day I went to him and said, hey, you know, I had this professor in college, la-di-da, la-di-da, you care if I put a few vines in? And, uh, you know, being a son-in-law, he looked at me funny a lot, but, uh, he really looked at me strange that day. And he was like, you want to grow grapes? I said, yeah, we could throw a few hundred vines in and just have some fun with it. And so, um, we'd had no idea what we were doing, read a few books, asked a few questions. Um, we put a hundred vines in the ground, uh, be 28 years ago this spring and, uh, had a great growing season. One thing led to another. They were all still alive when they came back up the next year. We thought Psh, we're experts. Let's throw a few more hundred in. And, uh, at that same time, there was a winery. We're actually the second winery in the state. And the first winery was just getting going up, um, near North Fork in Pierce, Nebraska. And so we went up and visited there. Missouri has a great wine industry. Went down, visited them. I was just getting started. We have some relatives out in California. So went out to Temecula and, you know, one day Jim came to me and he said, you know, if they can do this in Pierce and Missouri and Iowa, why not in Raymond, Nebraska? And I was like, Okay. <laughs> and we started throwing more vines in the ground and started putting all the pieces together for this, uh, for this winery. And, and, uh, like you said, 25 years ago, this September opened our front doors and haven't looked back since. Okay. So you're to that point. You're like, let's go ahead and do this. Um, did it feel like literally you're standing halfway up a mountain and you heard the rumble and then you saw the snow coming? Cause you're like, okay, we're going to open a business. It's something that we know this much about just a little bit, but I know we're experts in that area. And obviously he has the background from owning a business before he's got a, a lawyer that can help him with that. He's got accountants. He, that part of it was not as bad, but this is a whole new world. So how, how trepidatious were you guys to finally just say, let's do it. It's easy to say, let's do it. But then to take that first couple of steps to get to September 13th, 1997 had to be interesting. It, it was an interesting story. And, and Jim was an entrepreneur through and through. So he had, he, he'd, he'd opened a number of businesses. Um, and then you bring my expertise was in marketing. And then my wife is just a good, smart business lady and merchandising and just customer service was her. So we had all the pieces. What was missing was that winemaking part of it. Well, we, through another long story, everything just kind of happens for a reason, but I had run into a gentleman 
He was about my age back then, and he was a microbiologist out of California. And he graduated from the University of California, Davis, and was working in Broken Bow at a business there. And I happened to run across him on another business venture that was trying to take place. And uh, when we decided to do all this, we said, hey, are you interested in, in helping us make the wine? And so we brought his expertise. So all the pieces just kind of fit in together. But you're right. I mean, I'm not a risk taker by nature. I mean, I left a great job at the university, um, lots of lots of security. and and But I got to a point where it was like, you know, uh, this is a great opportunity. If it doesn't work out, I mean, I can always go back and do what I was doing. And, and uh, uh, it was just one of those things. It was time to be your own boss and a family business and I, born and raised in Nebraska. And I know that if it's a good Nebraska product and it's made in Nebraska, Nebraskans are going to support it. And they love to talk about, and this was so unique. There was no other wineries, one other winery in the state. And so it was like, this is a no brainer. This, this is going to work if we do it right. And we had all the pieces together, but, but again, um, it, it, it came fast and furious and there were a lot of things that happened. It was just like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was going to happen. And, uh, and, Unfortunately, Tim, our, our first winemaker was here for a year, got another great job opportunity. We hired another winemaker out of California and he left after a year. And I thought this is going to be a revolving door. I might as well just learn how to do this. So again, that journalism background paid off as I'm making wine. I'll tell you why I'm a journalism major. I didn't have to take any science or math classes in college, which. Oh, that's not helpful in the uh, winemaking, you know, is it? Winemaking, there's a little science and math. So I'm always on the steep <laughs> learning curve. So, uh, but, uh, but fortunately it, it's worked out and through trial and error, we've, we've, producing beautiful wines. And and as you're telling me that, I am picturing um, mid-1980s and the MTV commercial, their promo, where the kid sits down and it's kind of animated and the T MTV comes on and it's just the wind is <laughs> 500 that. miles an hour blowing his hair back. Yeah, that's it was. I'm, what I'm picturing with you guys getting things up and going. So you you got into winemaking and got into, you quit the job at the university, et cetera. What, what was Jim Ballard going to be before he became Jim Ballard, the winemaker? Oh my gracious. You know, and that's a great question. And if you would have told me 20, 30 years ago, I'd be sitting here talking to you about making wine in Nebraska. I'd be like, uh, I think you've been sipping a little too much wine because this was <laughs> oh, I'm never on the radar. Uh, you know, I, my background is in, in journalism and, and, and PR and marketing. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I was going to be the next voice of the Kansas city Royals that never quite panned out. So, um, I, you know, I, uh, I was, I did some teaching at the university and I really enjoyed that. So that's maybe where I would have ended up would be at uh, a university doing teaching some classes in, in journalism, PR, that type of thing. But, uh, and I still did a little bit of that after we opened the business, but it, like you said earlier, it just got to be, it's like, oh my gracious, this is like a opening up a, you know, a well spout. And it was just, <laughs> so I couldn't do that anymore. But, you know, the cool thing about it is that you know, we've met so many inter interesting people. You've asked us about our first customers we had. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things about being here is this, all the great people that we've met and all the friendships that we've made with people literally around the world. So you started back in 1993. Can you walk me through some of the milestones uh, when you decided to add more vines, buy more property, add a new building, uh, put a deck, decide to be a destination for weddings and event hosting facility. Uh, and, and we'll compound and jump on top of that. Any expansion plans? You bet. We, uh, when we first opened, we, we built the building here and, and, uh, 
we didn't know if it was going to work or not. And so we built it in such a way that if we had to sell it, somebody probably could have put their home in here. And uh, we did an expansion for the first 12 years we were open. We were doing something every year, adding on, building, getting new equipment. Um, it, it was, and that was good. That meant we were doing something right and we were growing. And, uh, you know, I think our, the first, the first major expansion that we had is we added on to the seller and we brought in three 3,500 gallon tanks. Uh, and we had two, three milk tanks, one 800, one 500, one 600, and a little 400 gallon tank and four barrels. And we decided to add 3,500 gallon tanks. We actually put them in place and built the building around them. And since then, I think we're up to about 27 tanks now of various sizes. Um, so that was our first wow. major expansion. And then we realized that we didn't have enough room for seating. Um, during the summer, we get beautiful deck. That started, we have beautiful deck and waterfall, and we can sit plenty of people out there. But when the weather gets cold, we just didn't have enough seating. So we decided to uh, eliminate our small gift shop, move it, and expand and create more seating. And then the next year, we added on a party room, and below that, we added on a barrel room. And then we added on uh, more storage. Uh, that's one thing I tell people that come to me and say they want to start a business. I say, you never have enough storage. But uh, we added on more storage. So there was something that we did for the first 12 years we were open uh, because that's how fast we were growing and, and what we were growing into. So, um, you know, and you said a, you, you asked a wonderful question there. And it took me it took me a little while to figure this out. Not, not long, but I knew that when we opened, people were going to buy wine. They were going to come out. They want to try Nebraska wine from Nebraska grown grapes. But what I didn't realize is, is that we, we don't really sell wine. We sell an experience. And as part of that experience, it's our family story. It's the wines that we make. It's, um, you know, the family, uh, that, that our family that works here, it's our employees who are the face of this business. You know, it's the events we put on, it's an experience and that's what we sell. And uh, we figured that out real quick. And it's part of that. And if you go to a lot of wine regions around the world, they don't do a lot of special events and they don't do a lot of parties. That's something that's part of our business plan and part of our experience. And if you find the Midwest, here in the Midwest and a lot of places, you know, in smaller wine regions, um, they do a lot of events, special events, because that's going to draw people in. It's not just about the wine, but it's about the event. And so that's really what we sell as an experience. And that's probably, a, a, you know, you talk about expansion. Um, we started doing hard ciders a few years ago. Remember those apple trees I talked about? I was going to mention that a little bit later on, but we, feel free. Yeah, we we uh, we had all these apple trees, and of course, we didn't do the you pick apple program. And and a lot of times, we were letting folks come out and pick apples and just letting them pick them so they didn't go to waste. And you know, we didn't charge them anything. I ate a lot of apple pie and a lot of apple cobbler because that's imagine. how they paid us for <laughs> for the apples. We let them pick, but uh, you know, so what, as I step back in that experience. You know, uh, w there's 36 wineries across the state now. Um, they're not really our major competition. What, what I look at as our competition, are a lot of the craft beer places, um, yeah. they're popping up everywhere. Um, a lot of them are doing events and, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of competition coming up out there. So I always have to figure out how to replace those markets and that experience to replace those markets. Hard cider was part of that. You know, we looked at that six years ago and thought these apples are going to waste. Oh, wait. Hard cider is becoming a thing. Let's let's do that. And now we, of course, uh, uh, not only do we have it on tap, but we can it and we're selling it out there in the marketplace. Um, so as I look, the biggest change that I've seen, you know, people used to come out here and experience in the wine, but we really aren't 
a winery anymore. We're kind of an events center, events place. And so, you know, if we do any expansion, I'm looking at um, creating more space for events, things of that nature. Um, I also, I'm a, I'm also a big uh, bourbon guy. I love bourbon. And so I think distillery might be something that we'd love maybe dabble in a little bit down the road. There's a lot of things, you know, contrary to popular belief on my friends and family, there, there is stuff going on up here in this (laughs) noggin, you know, they may not think so, but there's stuff, there's stuff floating up there, but, uh, you know, you just, you always have to keep your options open. And if you, if you're not growing, you're dying. So, um, that's one thing that, that we try to do. You mentioned a couple of times, uh, telling me about the, the, the expansions and the building and how you guys decided to design a business plan of not just being a winery. And you said, I believe four times, family, family, Mm -hmm. family, family. Um, your wife, Barb and your children help, uh, obviously your in-laws tell me about each of them, a little bit about them. And I know the story with your wife is going to involve the from Nebraska gift shop down at eighth and Q, which I just patronized last week and got a chance to meet your son, Bo. Uh, but if you would share their involvement and, and I'll be honest with you, it's proud Papa time too. If you, if you want (laughs) to brag up the kids, we, uh, you know, family is very important to us. And uh, that's one of the reasons, you know, when Barb and I, and we actually met while we were in school, she's a journalism broadcasting major as well. And we, we were married in college and we made a conscious decision early on that we wanted to stay in Nebraska. I mean, we had, well, you know, in the broadcasting business, the only way to, 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 uh, you know, get your career going is usually you have to go out of state to bigger markets. And so we both worked in the markets here in Lincoln and, and Omaha and, but we decided we want to stay close to family. So family is very important to us. And this is a family run business. Um, you know, my, uh, my in-laws were part of that for so long. And, and, uh, Barb and I, you know, we've been married 35 years and we work together every day for about 25 of those years. And people go, how'd you do that? And I said, well, we, we knew, we knew our boundaries and we knew our, our strengths. And we, uh, we knew that we couldn't take this home with us every night. And, and, uh, um, and we complemented each other very well. And so family is very important. And, and not only our um, internal family, but we have longtime employees. Our vineyard manager has been with us since he's 18, almost 16 years. He's been with us, 17 years. You know, our, our tasting room manager was a college friend and, and our first tasting room manager was with us for about 14 years and he's been with us almost five. And so not only our internal family, but folks that work with us, work for us, they're part of our family too. And that's, that's important to us. And even our customers, what I tell every single one of our employees, when somebody walks through that front door, they're walking into our home and treat them such, treat them as family, treat them as guests. And I think that's what, what makes us and separates, makes us uh, good at what we do and separates a little bit from other people. So yeah, that, that's interesting. And and the from Nebraska gift shop is, is a fun story too, because, um, about six, seven years ago, we were looking to expand and that's about when the arena was going up, the Pinnacle Bank arena was going up and things were starting to pop down there. And I looked down there, I thought that would be a good location, even though it's fairly close to us, that would be a good location because there are going to be people coming in from all over the world to the Haymarket. You got the university close by, you got the Pinnacle Bank arena, you got all these hotels going up. And so I started going down there and looking for space that was available. And I was getting really, really uh, discouraged. And I walked into the From Nebraska gift shop and we knew the owners and they had a small tasting room and they carried a lot of Nebraska wines. And so I went in and I said, you know, would you be interested in renting out just this space for a tasting room for us? And I knew that 
I can only sell what we make here in that tasting room. And she looked at me and said, well, I'm thinking about selling the whole place. I'm like, huh? <laughs> so I came home and Barbara and I talked about it. And one thing led to another. And we ended up purchasing that business, which has been around for, oh my gracious, well over 30 years. Yep. And, uh, and so Barb went down there and she spends 99.9% of her time at the From Nebraska gift shop. We recently expanded, um, to the space next door, right near in the middle of pandemic, nothing like expanding your business during a pandemic, but we did it. And cause we had already had the wheels in motion and, and, and the shop is just gorgeous. And uh, she's done an incredible job down there. Oh, she has. And one of the newer features I know you have down there because I had two filet mignon from yes, the freezer yes. is, I don't know the name of the company. I believe they're from Albion. Uh, yep. Up upstream, uh, the Brugger brothers. And I met them at a, at a conference I was at and they're a uh, distillant, Two young men just graduated from college and want to go back to the family farm, but there's not a, a lot of room to farm. So they opened a distillery. They're doing custom beef and they're doing a lot of fun things. Great kids. I shouldn't say kids. Great young men Yeah, in Albion. Yeah. Here's what I can tell you. Um, I am a uh, steak snob. If it is not a ribeye or filet mignon, um, I'm just going to look at you funny and say I'm full. And so I try I, any good steakhouse. I'm, I'm getting the best steaks they have. I am, I literally genuinely am a snob and we got a couple of the fillets and they were spectacular. They're delicious. They, they, I, and they, reasonable. they do it right. They're well, that's the other great. thing. They're very reasonable. And, uh, like I said, two young men that are, are out there true. There's two true entrepreneurs, but, and that's the cool thing about the from Nebraska gift shop is, Everything in there is from Nebraska, about Nebraska, or made Nebraska. And of course, when we expanded, we added more of a gift shop and the and the year-round Christmas store um, because we were finding a lot of people that came in and they they thought the Nebraska stuff was cool, but they wanted something to take home. They were on a business trip. And so it was just another business opportunity for us. And then we put in our cider house down there. And of course, we've always had the wine. So um, and being in the Haymarket is it's a great place to be. It really is. It's a fun place to be. You get to again meeting people from all over the world. It's, it's a great place to be. And, and Barb's down there. My oldest son, uh, Ben helps us up out down there as well. And then, uh, uh, my middle son, Bo, um, is into politics, but he also is part owner of the rabbit hole bakery. And so that's right across the street. So, okay. uh, yeah. And then my, my daughter just graduated from college and she's an occupational therapist here in Lincoln, but, uh, she still helps out a lot at both businesses. So nice. it is a family affair. It truly is. And you mentioned a couple of times a cider. I believe it's called Curveball. Yes, sir. And I spent maybe a game or two or a couple hundred bartending uh, and running around Haymarket Park <laughs> in the last uh, seven years or so uh, when the Salt Dogs were playing. And I know Curveball was one of our our more requested uh, ciders that we sold there. It may have been the only one for one of the years. At any rate, what was it like to go down that venture. I mean, obviously you've got the apples, so it's a little bit easier to, you know, you don't have to source something, but to learn how to then make the cider, was it as simple as the way, and it's not simple to make wine, but you're obviously an expert at it now. Is it as simple as making wine? Is it more complex? Was it difficult to learn? How do you, how do you make a cider? Sure. sure. And thank you for that confidence and that expertise. I'm, I'm learning something new every day. I, I still have a lot, a long ways to go, but, um, the way we make our cider, and I don't have the equipment to process it, so we still have to have it processed down at Nebraska City, um, a local company down there. But um, basically, we make our cider like we make our wine. It just doesn't have as much alcohol in it. So it's basically apple wine, 
And then we had to come up with the equipment to carbonate that to get the, the bubblies in it. So, uh, to me, cider is, it's a wine, but it, it drinks more like a beer. And the, 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 I'm having so much fun with the cider though, because we're doing all these fun, different flavors, curveball. I love baseball. Uh, I love, uh, watching baseball, talking about baseball. And when we started making the hard cider, I said, you know what, I, whether this goes anywhere or not, I want to name it something I have fun with. And so we call it curveball cider by James Arthur Vineyards. And then each one of them has a different name. So for example, our, our OG, I call it our, our original cider is called Grand Slam. And then I have a, a rosé cider called Double Play. So each of our ciders then has a different baseball name to it and different colored cans. So we have, I'm, I'm having so much fun though, because you can have so many different flavors. And, you know, we, we had our rosé cider and I added a little peanut butter to it and it tasted like peanut butter and jelly, you know, so a peanut butter and jelly cider, people look at me like I'm crazy, but you know, we have cherry vanilla, we have blackberry, we have mango. I'm the next one coming out. I'm working on a, um, a banana, uh, coconut, which is going to come out here, uh, soon. And so that I'm having a lot of fun with it. I can and, imagine. And uh, just playing with those different flavors and trying different combinations of flavors. But, uh, um, yeah, ciders, ciders, uh, something that, that we've added to, to our, our menu of items. And, uh, without getting into the politics though, it's, it's funny because uh, and, and we can, if you want, that could be another two hour show, but, <laughs> exactly. um, uh, you know, the federal government, uh, wine and, or, uh, yeah, wine and ciders can ciders considered a wine here at the state is considered a beer. Um, the legislature changed that law a few years ago. Well, I can self-distribute my wine, uh, through the farm winery act. I can self-distribute my wine, but since ciders a beer, I can't self-distribute. I have to go through a distributor. <laughs> so it, it creates a whole mess and we're trying to get that uh, cider out into the market, but uh, it's a little tougher getting it out there because I've got to go through a, a, an extra channel to get it in the market, but we're working on it and we'll get there. So, but uh, uh, like I said, I'm having a lot of fun with the cider. Awesome. So wine tastes like the grapes and the grapes have a flavor based on the region they come from. This is me and my expertise of knowing nothing about wine, making a not even an educated guess, a wild that guess. That was very good. Yeah, okay. No, you're right. I, I watch a little Food Network, and I think Guy Fieri may have helped with that explanation. <laughs> so when I think of great ground to grow wine and get fantastic tasting wine, I'm not sure Nebraska is going to be a place that you would think you would get good quality wine. Your product, the taste of it and the quality of it proves that is not a correct statement by me that this is not a place you can grow grapes. But can you explain to me the difference in the type and the style of grape you have to grow here mm -hmm. to put mm -hmm. up with the climate and be sustainable to make it through bad winters or droughts or floods in the last three days, etc.? Does it have to be a hardier grape? And then how does that change the flavor profile, the taste, the smell of the wine? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what we have to do here, we're farmers. I mean, we're a Nebraska farm winery. That's how we're classified. You know, we're, we're farming grapes and then uh, just doing a little value added to it, which is, uh, which most people like. But um, we, everything we grow out here are French American hybrids, American varietals. So they're varieties that are meant to be grown in the Midwest. They'll all survive up to 20 to 30 degrees below zero. Um, not saying that we couldn't grow vinifera, which is like your Cabernets, your Chardonnays, the, the, the varieties that most people are familiar with. Um, 
but they we'd have to have the perfect winter and once it got so cold they wouldn't survive i've tried growing some some grapes out here that aren't meant to be grown in the midwest and they didn't they didn't do very well most years every once in a while you might get lucky and get a little bit but but when i say we try to grow uh let's say we try to grow a a, a sauvignon Blanc, uh, cabernet sauv even if I could grow it here, it's not going to taste like what you would get in California or France or, you know, at a, at a different growing region that grows those style of grapes. So what we have to do is we have to educate people not only on the wines we make and the styles of grapes we grow, uh, but we have to educate them on Nebraska grown products, you know, and sometimes we have to make those comparisons. Now, I'll tell you that Mother Nature is probably our biggest concern out here. Late frost, early freeze, uh, hail storms. We've lost uh, over the years. There's been a couple of years we've lost 70, 80% of our, our crop because of weather. And so um, that's something, you know, something we can't control. Um, so the varieties that we grow do have distinct flavors for this area. Even in Nebraska, I'll take Edelweiss for an example. That's our most popular grape, our most, uh, most popular, uh, most awarded wine. We grow Edelweiss here. If you go down to say Lexington or you go down to the Nebraska city area, their Edelweisses taste a little bit different based on our soil, based on our growing conditions. There are certain grapes we can grow here that they can't grow in Lexington. There's certain grapes growing down in Nebraska city that I struggle growing here simply because of the variance of temperature change just in those, you know, 100, 150, 200 miles. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I've told people that I'm not going to try to grow things that I can't grow here. I'm going to grow what we can grow and do the very best job of making the very best wines we can for what we have. And you talk to 10 different winemakers, they're probably going to give you 10 different answers. This is my personal opinion. I think the grapes that we grow and the wines that we make here in Nebraska um, are semi-sweet wines, um, especially our white wines, um, our semi-sweet reds that we create, I would put up against anybody in the world. And we have in many competitions, we've won some some very nice awards, some very major awards. So those sweeter style wines, that's what we're good at. That's what we're, that's what grows here. That's what we're good at making our dry reds, um, drier style wines are very palatable, very drinkable, but we just don't have the right conditions to grow those big, heavy, bold, tannic reds that a lot of core red wine drinkers are, are going to, are going to drink. Okay, so that leads me to the question, and this is going to sound really stupid, like I know absolutely nothing, which is 100% true. Does a grape that makes a dry wine come from an arid climate? No. I, you know, we, we make dry wines here. Um, you take that same grape, I can make a sweet wine. Any grape that comes into us is going to be sweet. I mean, uh, because of the sugars, what we just do is we ferment all those sugars out so that there's no sugar left in that wine. That's what makes it dry. Now the arid climate part of it. Yeah. You know, our, our, our growing sheet season is a little shorter, so we may not develop some of those tannins and some of those things that make for those big hearty reds, those bold reds. Um, you know, uh, we don't have those high alcohol wines. Uh, you know, sometimes you get those zins that are 14, 15%. We just have a tough time making wines that fit into those categories. So again, it goes back to making wines from the grapes that we can grow here to the very best and, and focusing on those flavor profiles of those grapes that we can grow and making, like I said, great wines from, from those. And you know, and to be honest, um, I found this early on 
in the winery too, is people will come in and say, oh, give me your best Chardonnay. Those are buzzwords. Chardonnay, Chardonnay Cabernet, those are buzzwords. <laughs> and they try it and it'd be like, you know, a dry white wine. And it would be, oh my gosh, that's awful. Well, here, try this sweet wine. Oh yeah, that's, you know, so people like to talk dry, drink sweet. 75, 80% of everything we sell here is on the sweeter side. It's understandable because it's good. I, <laughs> sweet Charlotte, I, I, I told you, I'm not big into wine. I just kind of got into it not too long ago. And I have had red wine in the past and it was a Merlot. And I think for people being introduced to wine, a Merlot is probably not the first glass you want to try, mm -hmm. uh, which is what kept me away from wine for a while. And somebody said, oh, there's this sweet red you got to try called Sweet Charlotte. And it is phenomenal. I, I never thought I would drink a red wine, but it is. It's, <laughs> it's spectacular. Um, time frame wise, you're going to go out and harvest grapes at some point this year. What type? Of, what time of year do you harvest? And then from the time you harvest today, 100 days, 500 days, 1,000 days until you are going, Mike, Here's a bottle of wine for you. It, you know, it just depends. That's like another great question. You know, uh, we have the different seasons. We just uh, finished up pruning. We do all of our pruning, which is critical to what we do out here. We start uh, right around Christmas time, and usually we're done by the by the uh, middle middle of April before bud break. This year we had such a mild winter that we were done even earlier, earliest we've ever done been done pruning. So right now the pruning's done. We just planted some new vines. We we tore some things out that were getting old. We replace those. So this time of the year, we're doing a lot of pruning, uh, um, bud rubbing, things of that, making sure that we're getting ready for that growing season. So right now we need sun and we need heat units and we let, we let the vines go. We'll go in and maybe do some leaf removal so we get the sunshine in there and things like that. So it's just maintenance. There's always something going on in the vineyard. Uh, we're shooting for harvest probably, we usually start about the second second week in August when it's nice and cool here in Nebraska. Um, and we're done pretty much by the 1st of October. Now that's not picking every day per se, but that's harvest starting in August. And, and the last, the last variety is usually in the September 1st of October. Uh, from that point on, it just kind of depends. I have turned wines around as quick as six to eight weeks, not recommended because you're really pushing them. Uh, but most of our wines, my plan is to be running out you know, you just mentioned sweet Charlotte, my hope is that we're running out of sweet Charlotte at the end of the year, just when the new crop is getting ready to come out. Now, all of our dry red wines, uh, we have a barrel program. Uh, we bring those reds in and we let those age in a barrel anywhere from eight to 24 months, just depending on what style I want and, and that. So a lot of, so for example, this year, 2022, hopefully you're going to see most of those wines at the start of 2023. I try to keep it on that. Most of our reds, though, I like to age uh, up to a year, and then I like to keep them in the bottle for at least another year. So 2022, you may be drinking in 24, 25 on our dry red side. So that's kind of the program I've been trying to get into. Of course, again, Mother Nature kind of dictates what we get and how much we get. But uh, uh, and then and then uh, and then we start all over. I'll tell you, the program works. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Before we wrap up and get into rapid fire questions, I want to do a rapid fire to start it off with, which is an easy answer, but it's not because I need you to explain the benefits of both or the detriments of both. In the top of the bottle of wine, a cork or a screw on cap? What is better you know, and that's why? A, that's a question I get a lot. And again, this is my opinion. You can talk to a lot of different winemakers and we're, we're an interesting bunch. We, we give you all sorts of different answers, but 
Um, we use natural cork. We always use natural cork. I don't have anything against synthetic cork. I don't have anything against screw top. Um, they say uh, with natural cork, uh, cork producers don't say this, but about five to six percent of your wines are going to go bad uh, because of bad corks. It's just it's just a living thing, breathing thing, and and sometimes the corks go bad, and that allows air to get into the wine, turns into vinegar real quick. Um, synthetic corks. Um, and then people say they look like plastic corks. Um, you, you eliminate that spoilage use. I have not seen any studies that say it changes the flavor of the wine by touching the plastic cork. Who knows? Um, the problem I have with synthetic corks is sometimes they are awfully hard to get out of the bottle. <laughs> yes, um, they are. They say screw tops may be the best closure out there because you don't, you don't get some of those spoilage issues and they're easy to open. Um, the problem with screw top is we, you know, in our business, uh, uh, you think of screw top wines, you think of cheap. I was going to say, I, I, I'm not going to name the brand, but yeah, uh, yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, but really, uh, there's a lot of development been made over the last, since, since we've started here in, in, in the business, uh, Winers are packaging screw tops in a way you don't even know that they're screw tops. Now, the only thing, the reason I like natural cork, and this is just, again, my own thing, is that I think there's a lot of romance in wine. And part of that is the whole uh, process that you go through when you go out to a nice restaurant and they present the bottle and then they uncork it and they hand you the cork, you smell it and you taste it. There's reasons we do all of that. I mean, you can tell a lot about that wine. Uh, before you even taste that wine. Okay, what am I looking for? Okay, we're when, smelling you know, for. So they come and, and and you order your bottle of wine. They always show it to you because they want to make sure that's the wine you ordered. Then they uh, take out the cork and they hand it to you. I remember the first time somebody handed it to me, is like, dude, it's pour the wine. I don't want to look at the cork. But you look at the cork and make sure the cork looks good. If there's streaks going all the way to the top of the cork, maybe that cork's been leaking. That wine's been leaking and you could have a bad wine. You smell the cork because you can smell something funky going on before you even you even look at that wine. And then, of course, they pour a little bit in there and you swirl it and you smell it and you taste it because you want to make sure that wine tastes good. It's the right wine. Everything's perfect before they pour the bottle. So there's a lot of romance. Sometimes with a screw top, I mean, Barbara and I were out to dinner once and we ordered a nice bottle of wine and the, the waiter brought to the table, showed us and pulled out his corkscrew and went, it was a screw top. He looked at us. We looked at him. He just like unscrewed it, sat on the table, and walked away. You know, we lost the whole romance of it. So, but like I said, we don't have I I don't have anything against any of the other closures. We've just always used natural cork here, and we'll continue to use natural cork. There went his tip. Um, all righty, <laughs> rapid fire to wrap this thing up, Jim. Um, do you have a favorite wine that your winery produces? Like, what is your go-to if you're going to pour a bottle from James Arthur? It, it changes because uh, a lot of my wines are like my kids. You know, some days I like some a little bit better than others. <laughs> uh, which, which, and 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 I know this is rapid fire, but one thing I did want to mention, and we talked about family, we talked about great stories, and you mentioned Sweet Charlotte. That's actually named after my mom. Awesome, Eden's Blush after Eden, my daughter, came out with that first. The two boys said, why do you love her more? You always give her stuff. And I said, you're right, I do. But no, I'm teasing. So two brothers named after them. Barbara Ellen. I mean, there's a lot of, Amote is named after my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law. When they were in high school, they met in the middle of the street in Austin, Minnesota. She went to the Catholic school. He went to the private school. She was learning Latin. She didn't pay attention very well in class because it should have been Te Amo, uh -huh. but she signed all of her notes, Amote. And so we named a wine in honor of them. So I can go down the list. And so that's part of our story. Um, and that's part of 
what I love telling people about. So just a little aside there, but I, I, if I had to drink anything, I love our port, our troposti, which is a whole nother story. How that not got, how that wine got named, but, uh, we might have to do a second we like, have, little we have 15 do, minute episode where we go over the good wines story. and the stories. If you want to hear about that, you got to come out and visit us, but it's Absolutely. a port wine. I love ports. Um, if I could drink anything in the world, it'd be a good port. So I probably like our port. Okay. Eden's blush is mine. I'm just telling good, you that I choice. found it last week. Good it choice. is amazing. Good choice. Um, do you have a favorite wine of all time that obviously is not grown here? Oh, like one from gracious. Italy, from, from Northern California. Um, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a winery out in California that I really do love in Napa. It's called A to Z, um, winery. Um, I'll be honest. I do not. What, what I've found is it's not about the wine. It's about who you're with, what you're eating, where you're at. And I'll, I'll have a bottle of wine with family or friends and we're having an awesome time. And I'll say, we got to get a bottle of this wine at home. And I bring it home and we're watching dancing with the stars or whatever. And I pour it and it's like, oh, that just doesn't taste the same. So I think a lot of times wine, it's, it's about who you're with and where you're at and what you're having for dinner and just the occasion that I think makes great wine. Absolutely. It does. When you vacation, would you rather vacation in Napa Valley or in Italy where you can go see other vineyards or would you rather vacation in the Caribbean? Oh my gracious. That's a great question. I, uh, I would rather, Oh my, I love both. Um, I love going to the Caribbean because we get away. Now, if there was wine and a baseball game in the Caribbean, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've tried to visit every single ballpark around the country. So a lot of our, our trips revolve around baseball and, and wineries. Um, my favorite wine spot to go to though, is the finger lakes in New York. Um, awesome wine, awesome people. They're farmers out there as well. A lot of not a, I got to be careful what I say. A lot of not a lot of pretentiousness out there. It's just they make <laughs> great wine, and also they have distilleries and craft beer out there now too. So, um, but I, you know, it depends on my mood. Uh, I love going on cruises to the Caribbean as well. We do winemaker cruises uh, where we take our wine and people come along and we share our wine with those people on those cruises. But uh, I would say the Caribbean today. Okay. <laughs> Favorite flavor of ice cream. Oh my gracious. I love chocolate with lots of good fudge brownies in the middle of it. I'm, that's kind of right in my wheelhouse as well. Who is your hero? Oh, um, and this is going to sound corny, but my dad, he really is. Um, you know, uh, I learned a lot about life from him, a very quiet man, very unassuming man. And, but I just learned a lot, uh, from him, uh, and growing up and a lot of life lessons. So, uh, it, it, he'd probably be my hero. What is the dumbest or craziest dare that you ever took? Oh my gracious. Um, I don't know if I can say some of them on air. <laughs> uh, that might be part of the fun <laughs> or that's the, that's the pay-per-view, you know, or paper listen. Uh, and it wasn't dares, but some of the dumbest things I, you know, when I turned 30, I went to, to Pamplona and ran with the bulls and had a wonderful time. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm 40. I'm sorry. When I was 30, I jumped out of a plane. I try to mark these milestone birthdays. Um, but I, uh, you know, I ran with bulls and people were like, you could just come down the road here to my farm and I'd had a bull that chase you as long as you want. But, uh, uh, <laughs> uh I, I get dared to drink and eat a lot of weird things. And I, I usually never turn those dares down. Nice. What movie do you find yourself quoting the most? Oh, Princess Bride or Caddyshack. Love Caddyshack. Absolutely. Love Princess Bride. Yep. What world record do you think you would have a shot at beating? 
I'm guessing it has to do with eating weird food. I don't know. Just going out on a limb. It would probably it would probably be how many donuts you can consume in a short amount of time. I love donuts. I can eat a lot of donuts. All righty, cats or dogs? Oh, I, I we have tons of both. I love I love dogs. Uh, we have three winery cats here that I wouldn't give away for anything. But I have a, a yellow lab that I I love dearly. Dogs. Summer or winter? Uh, definitely winter. Sweet or salty? Uh, sweet. When you get into a pool, do you dip a toe or do you cannonball? Oh, I cannonball. Morning person or night owl? Uh, night owl. And last one. What is your favorite combination of food and wine? Um, you know, I, I, I truly, I truly love uh, steak and red wine, but I think if I really got down to it, it would be port and a cigar. Does that count as it absolutely food? does in my book. <laughs> a good port and a good cigar with a little piece of chocolate on the side. Nothing wrong with that. Jim Ballard, head winemaker from James Arthur Vineyards. Thank you so thank much you, for joining Mike. me here it on was a Nebraska pleasure. This was Gems. fun. This was fun. Happy you could join us. Thank, thank you. you.